The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Girl in the Picture, Episode 2. Here are those lemonades, miss, said the waiter, setting down two glasses on the bistro table. Sorry about the wait. Anything else I can bring you? I think this'll do the trick, said Elizabeth with a weary smile. The moment the waiter turned toward the kitchen, she pulled a sizable flask from her satchel and dumped its contents into both glasses. The two women toasted silently and drank. Above them loomed the vaulted ceiling of the Biltmore's lobby. On either side, pillars of travertine tile rose out of the floor. Travelers were everywhere, carrying luggage, following bellhops, and putting their smoking jackets to good use. The cathedral-like hall was magnificent, and there was no better place in California to occupy a table and think. Well, said Elizabeth, at some point we'll have to find out how the movie ends. Maud sputtered through a sip. It was so strange, wasn't it? With those... those... Elizabeth leaned forward. Tell me I'm not crazy. The director, this Beaumont fellow, he did say something about the Gobi Desert, didn't he? I... I think so. His English was so hard to understand, but that sounds right. And where is that again? The Gobi? China, mostly. A bit in Mongolia. And he said he went there. Maud waited long enough to swallow an ice cube. Does that mean something? It's just curious, said Elizabeth, leaning back into the cushions of her chair. There are plenty of animals that exist only in that desert. The Bactrian camel, the goitered gazelle, a unique kind of ibex, and this man Andrews, have you heard of him? Oh, uh, should I have? Roy Chapman Andrews, he's a paleontologist, keeps digging up dinosaurs, skeletons no one's ever seen. He's all the rage at the museums, and all his specimens come from the Gobi. Elizabeth poured the last droplets from her flask into the lemonade. It's twice the size of Texas, you know. The dinosaurs? No, the Gobi Desert. Why, Elizabeth, Maud folded her arms. Do you mean to tell me that this man, this Adrien Beaumont, has found real... She lowered her head and whispered, Real unicorns? Elizabeth raised an eyebrow. Is it really so implausible, given all the things we've seen? Yes, but... Maud shivered. The things we've seen don't end up starring in motion pictures. But Elizabeth had suddenly stopped listening. She narrowed her eyes, wrinkled her brow, and said, Maud, there's someone behind you. I'd swear I'd seen him before. Maud was startled by the change in topic, but she craned her neck to see. When she turned back, she was cupping her mouth with her hands. My word! You recognize him too, don't you? Who is he? Why do I know that face? Maud giggled disbelievingly. Elizabeth, everyone knows that face. It's Charlie Chaplin. Is it really? Yes, that's him. He doesn't have that little mustache in real life. Oh, Elizabeth, of course not. 
Well, how about that? A celebrity I actually recognize. Maud stood up and smoothed her dress. How do I look? Obnoxiously pretty as usual. Why? I'm going to get his autograph. Maud, you're shameless. Maud hopped giddily on her heels. Don't I know it? And with that, she whirled around and approached one of the most famous actors alive. Elizabeth chuckled to herself. How nice this was to sit in an air-conditioned great hall among potted desert plants. The room was noisy with conversation and laughter, the ping of desk bells and the whoosh of elevator doors. The hour was late, but the massive hotel still pulsed with activity. How bright it all looked, the pastel suits and dresses, the Panama hats and feathered accoutrements. How far she felt from the gray east, its blackened brick and stormy skies. It even felt far from Arizona, their last stop, where every surface was blinding and baked to a crisp. No wonder so many newcomers were swarming this dusty valley, cramming every flophouse they could find. Dreams were made here. You could feel it in the air. Uh, excuse me, miss. Elizabeth rolled her head back to see the waiter. He stood by nervously, a gawky youth in an oversized jacket. No more lemonade, thank you. Uh, that's fine, miss, but I was told to give you this. The waiter extended an envelope. Elizabeth frowned. She thanked the waiter and tore open the paper, thoroughly confused. Had Charlie sent her a note? An apology, perhaps? That wasn't like him at all. And who else knew she was here? The paper was cheap, like newsprint. The words were written in jagged penmanship. Tonight, 12 Bourne Street, third floor, hack waiting outside. She flipped the paper over, and the second message sent chills. Don't tell your brother. Elizabeth? Elizabeth whirled around to see Maud, jogging toward her, radiant with joy. She waved a paper napkin in the air, a signature scrawled across it. I got it, she exclaimed. That's swell, Maud, Elizabeth replied, but she couldn't force any excitement. Maud stopped. The gaiety melted from her lips. Elizabeth, are you all right? Oh, I'm fine, Maud. I just need some fresh air. Maud turned her head sideways. Come now, what is it really? Elizabeth grimaced. Nothing bugged her like Maud's percipience. The waiter just handed me this. Something about Charlie. There's a cab waiting for me. Maud glanced over the note. Then she pouted at Elizabeth. You weren't going to leave me behind, were you? Well, said Elizabeth, I did promise you a vacation, and when it comes to this kind of intrigue, I figured you're off the clock. The night is young, Maud declared, stuffing the napkin into her satchel. Just as long as we make it to the beach, at some point. The driver knew nothing. He was a plain old man, driving a plain old cab, and he said little as they tore down Broadway. 
The drive wasn't long, but the landscape changed. After a few turns, the signs exchanged Roman letters for unfamiliar characters. The people on the street changed too, still wearing button-down shirts and ties, skirts and blouses, but all the faces were different. Elizabeth had only heard the name Little Tokyo. She knew almost nothing about it. Now they were headed straight into the neighborhood's heart. The cab pulled up in front of a hefty three-story building, its brick facade busy with fire escapes and laundry lines. Already paid, grumbled the driver, and he sped away, leaving the two women on a chipped sidewalk. A cat mewled in the alley, and a phonograph played in a nearby window. Otherwise, the block was quiet. Elizabeth reached into her satchel and lifted out her revolver. She cracked open the cylinder, gave it a whirl, and snapped it back into place. Maud lowered at the weapon. Do you really think we'll need that? Let's hope not, said Elizabeth. I hate cleaning it. The front door was unlocked, and they climbed a staircase to the second floor. The halls were empty, except for rows of doors and sconces lighting the way. Somewhere, a baby was crying. A couple argued somewhere else. The voices felt distant, ghostly. They ascended to the third floor, leaving behind the residential din. Here, the doors had frosted windows, announcing offices. All were dark, except for one. The glass glowed orange, and Elizabeth could clearly see the kanji stenciled over it. She couldn't read Japanese, of course, but above the writing was an unmistakable symbol, a drawing of a magnifying glass. The door was already cracked, and Elizabeth pushed it open. She saw a tile floor, two chairs, and a tall floor lamp. And there, seated behind a desk, was a man. He wore a crisp shirt and suspenders. One by one, he placed playing cards on the desk, a game of solitaire. The man's head was downturned, his face hidden beneath a black fedora. Ditch the footwear, he said. Elizabeth might have balked at this, had she not spotted a pair of black penny loafers already arranged on a mat. She suddenly remembered the domestic custom, and she kicked off her heels. The floor felt cool on her stockinged feet. The man gestured to two swivel chairs. Take a load off, ladies. Elizabeth pressed into the room and touched the chair's curved backrest. Are you dealing us in? The man tossed his last card into the mix, then leaned back. The light sneaked beneath his hat, and Elizabeth caught a glimpse of his face. Taut triangular cheeks, a sharp chin, thin lips. You could say that, said the man. Welcome to Tinseltown, Ms. Crown. I'm at a disadvantage, Elizabeth rejoined. To whom do I owe the pleasure? The man removed his fedora and placed it gently on the desk. Underneath, his dark hair was shiny, combed, 
expertly parted. It wasn't often Elizabeth met Oriental men, but she was startled to find him so, what was the word, striking? Takata, said the man. Hold the mister, just Takata. Takata, echoed Elizabeth. Now that she had a name, she felt better about sitting down. Maud took the seat next to her. This is my assistant, Maud Kapuscinski. Charmed, I'm sure, said Takata, opening a drawer. He produced a heavy bottle and three tumblers. Loganach, said Elizabeth, reading the label. You have discerning taste in scotch. Takata poured delicately, then handed out the glasses. I save the good stuff for colleagues. I see, said Elizabeth. And what is it you think I do? You find things out. Maud turned her head, questions in her eyes. Elizabeth didn't flinch, but her stomach was churning. Who was this man? How did he know a thing about her, much less her closely guarded profession? Find things out was a vague enough description, but it hinted at so much more. What had Takata learned, and what could he possibly want? Cheers, said Elizabeth, to colleagues. They clinked glasses. Maud held hers aloft, but she only watched the others swallow. Takata set the tumbler down and drew a packet of cigarettes from his breast pocket. He shook one out and struck a match. I'm no fan of twenty questions, said Takata through a cloud of smoke. I want the straight dope, always, and I'll bet my mother's tea set you do too. Very astute, said Elizabeth. Maybe you ought to consider a career as, I don't know, a private investigator. Takata scraped a piece of tobacco from his tongue. Here's the skinny. I got a call about three weeks ago. Missing girl. The name's Ryoka Miyashi, but everybody calls her Rose. Pretty girl. Sweet as taffy. Turns heads. Wants to be in pictures. From the neighborhood, asked Elizabeth. Little Tokyo. Bingo. Grew up here. Nice family. They own a grocery. I shop there myself. And yes, before you ask, I've seen her before. She ain't a stranger. How not a stranger is she? Takada sucked in his cheeks. Let's just say I'd rather see her home than somewhere else. That's fair. So, she's missing. Still, I gather. Right again. But here's the thing about Rose. She's got secrets. Two secrets, anyway. The first is, she got a job. Somebody cast her. In a movie? In a movie. The lead, in fact. Maud jerked with surprise. Do you mean Les Rêveries de Printemps? Takada aimed a finger at Maud. Smart girl. But that can't be right, Elizabeth retorted. The lead in that movie was, well, blonde. Sure was, said Takada. Blonde is a field of weed at dawn. So, where's Rose? If she's got the lead, if they spent a whole week shooting out in Studio City, She's not at secretary school, I'll tell you that. As far as her father knows, she was spending her days in typing class. Was she fired? Takata jammed the cigarette into the ashtray. Maybe, or worse. 
Elizabeth set her empty tumbler on the desk and folded her arms. Before I jump to any conclusions, what's the second secret? Well, said Takada, making a tent out of his fingers. There's a reason you're here, and not somebody else. Rose had a boyfriend. Oh, and her family didn't approve, I suppose. Nobody would approve, said Takada. The boyfriend was a gaijin, and she was a Japanese, so you do the math. Not the director, that Beaumont character. Nope, not him. The producer, Copeland? Not him either. Then who? Takada leveled his gaze. Your brother, Charlie Crown. Elizabeth felt an eruption inside her. Ire. Disgust. Every nerve in her body demanded that she leap over the desk and strangle the man. But she also felt shock. Charlie had a sweetheart, a relationship, a whole love life she knew nothing about. And slowly, as the potential truth of this sank in, it all started to make sense. His anger in the theater, his tense search for a familiar face, his abrupt departure. Something much bigger was going on, and this Takata, whoever he was, offered the only key. Still, she didn't like where this was leading. I hope you're not suggesting, relax, Takata said. I crossed him off the list. I'm relieved to hear that, said Elizabeth. And I know I shouldn't prod a sleeping dog, but how do you know? Because said Takada. She wasn't the first lead they picked. Or the second. Or the third. Rose was number four in line for that part. They all got hired. They all had time on set. And then, guess how many pretty Angelinas haven't been seen for a while? Four, Maud whispered. Four girls are missing? Takada leaned back in his chair. The old spring squealed. I see why you keep her around, sharp as a tack. The studio, Elizabeth pressed. What would they have to gain from making their own stars disappear? They weren't stars yet, Takata corrected. They were nobodies, fresh faces, desperate for a break. You see a lot of that. Still, Elizabeth countered. The crew, the production team, they would notice, wouldn't they? Some of them would, and some of them did and feed them enough whiskey and they'll tell you a little about it. But there's a line they won't cross. Takata rolled back in his chair and stood up. He moved to the window and pulled apart the shades with a pair of fingers. Dreams get made and broken all the time, Miss Crown. Some movies are hits, others flops. But this picture was different. That Beaumont, he's an odd duck. Copeland, too. And I don't like what I've been hearing. Sounds like a neat little whodunit, said Elizabeth, also standing. But why bring me here? You don't even know me. Well, said Takata, burying his hands in his pockets. Charlie was my first suspect. But you ruled him out. Not at first. And could you blame me? Quiet guy, lives alone, sees a sweet little oriental girl on the sly. Elizabeth darkened. My brother is a royal pain, but he's no kidnapper. Sure, said Takata. I'll buy that. Now, 
but I had to check him out. And then I checked out his home turf. Pittsburgh, of all places. What's the address? 206 Cressida Street? Elizabeth shifted her weight from foot to foot. That's right. Well, I have some friends in Pittsburgh. They did some digging. And what did they find? Elizabeth Crown, uncanologist. Oh, scoffed Elizabeth. Sounds like a made-up word to me. I'm sure it is, but the job is as real as anything. Take away the fancy title, and you're a P.I., just like me. Your clientele is word of mouth only, just like me. And you've got a good list of satisfied customers, just like me. But if you think you're still working in the dark, you've got another thing coming. Because a lot of those satisfied customers have loose lips, and they've got stories worth hearing. It seems like a lot of legwork for a dead end, said Elizabeth. Sure it is, but curiosity is my stock and trade. Anyway, when Charlie turned out clean, I started sniffing around the movie, Spring Reverie. Went to the premiere just this evening. Not as myself, mind you. Guys like me weren't invited. Don't tell me, Elizabeth chuckled. You were dressed as one of those Chinese ushers. That's right. Threw on a costume, started tearing tickets. No one was the wiser. I was watching the guests, seeing who was there, listening to their chit-chat. I saw Charlie, and then I saw you. I thought to myself, that's Elizabeth Crown. I'd bet the farm. Elizabeth swallowed hard. Well, I've heard that we have the same nose. I'll grant you that. But then Charlie walked out. Takata continued, caught my eye. So I followed, just behind you. And when you called after him and said the name of your hotel, I knew I had to break the ice. Elizabeth flushed. She felt exposed, vulnerable. All of this research had gone on without her knowledge, a steady erosion of her private life. And yet, she felt something else, a tingle of flattery. She had never really met a private investigator. How rare to be scooped by such a kindred spirit. That word returned to her mind, striking, and not just his pleasant visage. Well, what's the score then, she said. Are we forming a union or something? I need a hand, said Takata, and maybe more than a hand. Cheats and runaways, those are easy. But a missing starlet? That's another ball of wax. My money's on the studio. I think something ugly's gone on, and the only way to know for sure is to go there myself. But unless they've got a samurai picture in the works, I don't see myself stepping through the front gate, much less getting cozy with upper management. Elizabeth took a long breath. I won't lie, Takata. I'm intrigued, and a part of me would like to help you. But it's not up to me. Oh? You've got talent agents in Pittsburgh? It's up to Charlie. Rose is his concern, not mine, and I won't pry into his business until he gives me the word. That's Jake to me, said Takada, and anyway, it's better that he knows. We might need him. You've been listening to The Girl in the Picture, Episode 2, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. 
Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. For more information about the exciting world of Uncanology, please visit ElizabethCrown.net.